Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today, we have the brilliant Aubrey de Grey, who is an English author and biomedical gerontologist. I believe that's the right expression, isn't it, Aubrey? Yes, it is. Good. So he's the chief science officer and co-founder of the SENS Research Foundation, which funds research on how to put the brakes on aging. Now, one of the most exciting beliefs that Aubrey holds is that we might already be living amongst the first human to live 1,000 years old. So we're going to be unpacking that today. Let's start from the top then. So today you're known as the godfather of the longevity movement. So can we start with a brief description of who you are and your expertise, please? Yes, people call me a lot of things, you know, the prophet of immortality, stuff like that. I'm not really sure I deserve any of that. I'm just a medical researcher, really. I started my life in computer science and switched fields in the mid-90s when I was about 30-odd. So I've been working on the biology of aging for the past 25 years or so. I have been doing this somewhat in an unusual way in that because I did not have the formal training that career biologists have, I have emphasized the theoretical side of things. In other words, coming up with hypotheses rather than actually testing hypotheses. But also, in particular, I have come into this with a more goal-directed technologist mindset rather than a more, if you like, curiosity-driven basic scientist mindset. And that is really what led me to be able to make the contributions I have. So over the past uh, 20 years, I've been pursuing an approach that I first put forward in 2000, which is essentially that the easiest way, the most practical way for medicine to bring aging under comprehensive control will be actually not to try to slow it down, but to turn it backwards, which sounds very counterintuitive, but it makes a lot of sense once you look into the detail. And Over the past decade or so, I've been pursuing that within an organization that was created around these ideas, around my work, called Sense Research Foundation, which is a public charity based in California. And we do our own laboratory research in-house at our headquarters, and we also fund research in other institutions and elsewhere. I know that the topic of the interview, you know, generally sounds a little bit clickbaity, right? Which is uh, the idea of how to end aging, but that is ultimately your belief and the goal. So before we get into all of that, why don't we just start with a very obvious question, which is what is aging and why do we age? It's an obvious question, you're right. And in fact, that makes it all the more surprising that there is no agreed answer, or at least there hasn't been. Uh, that if you ask people what aging is, you'll get a lot of different answers. Which is crazy, really, isn't it? Since it's after all been the number one preoccupation of humanity since the beginning of civilization. Um, But here we are. So it is important, it's very important, in fact, to have a clear definition of aging in order to structure one's thinking around what to do about it. So here's my definition. Aging is the combination of two processes. A lifelong process that really literally starts before we're born, and a late life process that kicks off in middle age or later. So the lifelong process is the creation of damage in the body. 
specifically the creation of molecular and cellular changes to the composition and structure of the body that occur as consequences of uh, normal metabolism, which is to say the network of processes that the body performs day in, day out just to keep us alive. And that process of creation of progressive accumulating changes to the molecular and cellular structure is something that we are never going to be able to stop happening. It's just a fact of physics. It's what happens to any machine that has moving parts, whether it's a car or a human being. And the second process is the decline in function of the human body, both mental and physical, which, of course, doesn't really begin, or at least not to an appreciable degree, until middle age or so. And the reason it starts at all is because the body is set up to tolerate a certain amount of the changes that the first process is bringing about, uh, but only a certain amount. So eventually that threshold level below which the body functions fine is exceeded. And that's why it's appropriate to call those changes damage in the first place. So damage is the set of changes that the first process generates throughout life and that eventually overwhelm the body so that it starts to function less and less well and eventually not to function at all. Are there any positive benefits of ageing? Not in the way in which the word ageing is currently used, is typically used. Now, strictly speaking, of course, there are plenty of good things about getting older, like getting more knowledgeable and so on. And so for some time, gerontologists have actually, when they want to be terribly rigorous, they have used the word senescence to restrict themselves to talking about the undesirable aspects of ageing, the decline in health that I was talking about a moment ago. But to be perfectly honest, I think that's unnecessary because everybody really needs senescence when they say ageing. Okay. What are some of the more obvious ways that in our lifetimes we can extend our lives? So I have to be very clear that it looks like there's basically nothing we can do with what exists right now to extend our lives substantially. Of course, when I say extending life, I'm kind of condensing two things. I mean, extending the time between birth and death, and I also mean extending the time between birth and the emergence of the chronic health conditions of late life, which is often called health span. And the reason I can make that abbreviation and just say lifespan is because the two things do go together. The longer you stay healthy, the longer you will live, pretty much that's it. You know, we are never going to be able to arrange for people to continue to live a lot longer than they do now without arranging for that extra time to be in the part that's healthy rather than in the part that is going downhill. So um, it's important never to think that this work is about trying to do that. Not only is, it, not only is that not, we want to, not what we want to do, it's also not what we could ever do. Being unhealthy is always going to be risky, if you like. So uh, what can we do now? Well, the thing is, yes, I mean, we've done all the easy stuff. We've figured out what elementary medicines are that will stop us from dying of infections, by and large, even a new infection like COVID has, let's face it, not killed nearly as many people as heart disease has in the past 12 months. So the limits of what we can do right now are rather depressing. But of course, that's the challenge, right? It's the, the idea is to transcend those limits by developing new technology. And that's what we're all about here. And the technologies I'm talking about will probably not take very long to come about. Some of them are already in clinical trials. You know, in other words, they're being tested in humans. 
we will need to get all of these things working together in order to get the real benefits that I'm hoping for and I'm expecting of keeping people healthy for a great deal longer, but we can't do it yet. nutrition and supplementation is a factor in this so it'd be great to know what kind of uh, diet you personally subscribe to if you're willing to share what supplements you take any of your personal recommendations that you put into your life for life extension right so let me be very clear about the distinction between the past and the present here the reason why life expectancy average longevity rose so much between let's say the late 19th century and World War II was overwhelmingly because of the advent and dissemination of medicines to prevent early death. In the 1850s and earlier, literally more than one third of babies, even in the UK, even in the wealthiest countries in the world, would die before the age of one. And there was obviously massive death in childbirth and so on as well. By about World War II, that was all over in the, in the industrialized world. There was absolutely, there was virtually no death from that. So, of course, this means that the continuation of the rise in life expectancy that we've seen since World War II cannot be ascribed to that. It has to be ascribed to something else. And the answer is, well, at least the number one answer, it's certainly not the only answer, is nutrition. There are other reasons, certainly, you know, decline in smoking is a good one. But nutrition matters a lot. And in particular, it turns out that early life, even prenatal nutrition matters the most. Most people believe that the main reason why people <clears throat> are living longer now than they did 50 years ago is because people who were dying 50 years ago had been born, on average, into a less prosperous environment than people who are dying about now. And that prosperity, that increased prosperity, turned into better nutrition, even during very early life. So, that, so their nutrition is very important. But that has also hit diminishing returns now. In other words, basically, the nutrition that was available for people who were born in the early 20th century was pretty much good enough. And as such, we're now seeing a leveling off of the increase in longevity year on year as the remaining mental improvements that can be made are balanced by things that people are doing badly, like the obesity epidemic in the US, for example. So if we ask today what we can do in terms of nutrition and supplements, the answer is very little, especially, as I say, because they even, even originally the main benefits were in very early life rather than in adulthood. But even ignoring that aspect, very little. And worse than that, it's different things for different people because different people have different kind of slightly different metabolisms, slightly different levels of gene expression or that's all that enzyme which makes a difference to how much they need of this or that micronutrient. So the only general advice that one can give is pay attention to your body. Do what your body is telling you it needs, you know, which is pretty general, really, but it's something one can do. Uh, now, I'm actually a really bad example to look at in terms of what I do, not because I don't care about my body, not at all, but because I'm lucky, because I somehow I grew up well-built and... So I've had my biological age tested in all manner of ways half a dozen times over the past 20 years, and I always come out ridiculously younger than I actually am. So for me, the rational thing to do is to be conservative, to be, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I don't take anything. 
I live exactly the way I always have, and you know, I'm not going to change that until something tells me to. Whereas there are other people who are not like that at all. In fact, most people are not like that. If you look at the other end of the spectrum of metabolic luck, shall we say, a great example is Ray Kurzweil, who's another prominent person in this field. He came down with type 2 diabetes in his 30s, which is, you know, pretty rare. He's got lots of cardiovascular disease in his family. And he developed a supplement regime, which is quite well known because it's quite extreme. He takes literally hundreds of supplements. I definitely don't think he's crazy to do that. I think he has very probably substantially normalized his rate of aging as a result of the regime that he has developed for himself. But that doesn't tell me or anybody else what the average person should do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Cheers for coming on the Brain Care Podcast. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Height started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week. Thank you.